Hi there, and welcome to the Britwatch Tennis Podcast, the second podcast. It's been quite a while since our first one. How have you been, Ros? I've been good, thank you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone, although it's a bit late. Um, <laughs> We're getting to Easter now. Yeah, I know. But before that, we've got this weekend coming up, and I'm not going to lie... I am, we're talking of Christmas. I'm like a kid at Christmas. This weekend, we've got the first weekend of the RBS Six Nations. We've got the Super Bowl and we've got the Davis Cup action. Um, what more could you ask? And what's better, it's all on terrestrial TV. Um, Super Bowl's on Channel 4, RBS Six Nations and Davis Cup on, on BBC. So sit back, relax, have a few beers and watch a whole load of sport this weekend. That's all right for you. I've got to watch tennis. Poor you. <laughs> Okay, before we get onto that, the uh, the major event we've had already so far this year is the Australian Open, um, which saw um, at least one shock winner, really. Stan the Man Warinka, um, introducing mm. him like he's a wrestler or a boxer, um, won his first ever Grand Slam, beating Rafa Nadal, although he was a little bit injured. Um, how much of a surprise was Stan Warinka winning in January, Roz? Um I think he's been threatening his breakthrough for a while. Um, I'm glad that he's actually finally gone on and done it. I mean, let's take nothing away from the guy. He's, he's beaten the world number one and the world number two to get his first slam. Um, and he's been... Th- Is he the first ever guy to do that? Or the first no, guy for a while? So first ever guy for, to win his first Grand Slam, beating both number one and number no, two? No, um, somebody did it at the Wrench Open, whose name I can't pronounce. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think people, you know, I've been quite happy to see that people haven't been doing a lot of the, oh, well, it's an asterisk because Rafa was injured because Rafa certainly had his anti-inflammatories kick in in that third set and um, was able to move and hit quite well while Stan fell apart. But um, Well, he still Stan still beat Djokovic, didn't he? I mean, yeah. I mean, it was... Uh, He's been threatening to do this for a while. Well, it was a third of, third of the five-set epics against yeah. Djokovic. We saw last year at the Aussie Open, uh, which is why Stan Wawrinka was such a, a favourite at the Aussie Open, because he's had two of those matches now. There was another one at the US Open after he'd given Andy Murray a white walloping. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there, there was concerns that the final the Aussie Open was going to be a walkover. And it was, uh, if anything, it threatened to be the other, yeah, the other way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, somebody, somebody that I worked with, we, yeah, we, we were joking beforehand, and he sent out an email saying, I'm going to call this, I'm going to say that Stan's going to do it. And we were like, wow, bold, bold, bold. But, you know, actually, sort of, sort of a set and a half in, we were like, dude, seriously, you're actually quite good at this. So, Well, well it almost didn't get to three sets. I mean, there was there were mm. signs that Nadal was going to retire. He didn't. He didn't want to give in. Um, was that a wise move, or should he have? I think um, if, he, if he hadn't been able to move as well by the time the sort of third set got going, I think people would have asked, asked the question, um, because he really couldn't move at all. Um, I could serve stronger than that. <laughs> um, you know, and you had to feel for the guy. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, he, he he started to get a bit more rotation in his in his um, in his backhand. He started to get a bit more power in his serve. He started to go back to doing his like little rituals. Well, and how, you just how, thought, well, okay. how much of Nadal's comeback was down to Nadal, and how much it was down to Wawrinka losing concentration, the big moment, the difficulty of playing against an injured opponent. I think, and I think. The anti-inflammatories that he was given absolutely kicked in because you could see the improvement in his in movement and his speed, his speed of serve started to pick up. It was nowhere near how he was serving at the start, but it was beginning to get a little bit more traction. Now you know I can argue you can argue that um, you know how much was that of Van Brinker losing his concentration? And you got to, again you got to, yeah be fair to the guy. It's his first Slam final. He obviously came to play. He you know he came out and played lights out at tennis in that first set. Um, and didn't lose his nerve in the second set. But I think by the time we got to the third set, I think 
as you find sometimes when people are injured, it, it throws the opponent because they really don't know what to do. Do I hit to his backhand because I know he can't rotate? Um, you know, or do I make him run around and hit out wide because I know he can't get to it? Um, and I think maybe there was a little bit of overthinking, a little bit of um, a little bit of panic in there. And and I think for some of that third set, there was definitely a kind of I'm just going to wait for him to lose. And I think when Rafa started moving again, there was this oh he's well, not going to lose. Well, Rafa, I think I mean he wasn't going to quit, um, no. but at one point he was he was hitting for the, he was hitting for the fences. So. If he could, if he couldn't get the ball, he wasn't trying. But if he could get the ball, he was trying to hit a winner. And you compare that, and compare that with his serving, which was basically, you know, he would have almost been better underarming mm. serving it down. Um, whereas Stan Wawrinka, I mean, his unforced errors on the return of serve was almost more in that third set than it was at any point yeah. than the rest of the match cumulatively. You know, he 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 wasn't used to these these puddings of a serve from, from Nadal and he was hitting them out or hitting them straight back into the net and knowing that if he did get them in well Nadal was just gonna was just gonna try and smash a winner because he couldn't move anyway yeah I mean I, th- I think it was a real rite of passage for Stan in every in every way I mean to come out and get his first set you know you, you can imagine that his mind was going and in, in, in the second set you know he, he knew there was something wrong but it didn't stop him from you know blasting down uh, aces here there and everywhere and then suddenly it all sort of unraveled and um i mean i must admit i was i was sort of texting a a, a, a german colleague of mine who was like oh my god if he loses it, yeah how did you come back from losing it in five to was, an injured opponent to, yeah and i was just like well he hasn't lost yet and he goes yeah but yeah he's going to if he carries on playing <laughs> like this how would you come back from that because um you know and i think last year i think the big difference for me between stan stan version 2013 and stan you know stan now is that last year i think he was just happy to be there and i think he was so happy to have made it to the semi-final that you know okay he lost and he was cramping but you know but it's okay because i made it to the semi-final i think he had much more self-belief um coming into this year that he could do it and certainly when he came out i mean he left he, he left nadal for for standing in that first set um so, so taking all that on board taking how well he played how he might push on you know you say how hard it would have been to bounce back from losing. He he hadn't lost. He's won. Does he go on to win another Grand Slam? Two more Grand Slams? Three more Grand Slams? He's all, he's now the Swiss number one. Mm. Is is he going to become a multiple Grand Slam winner? Is he going to do a Murray and get two in two years? Um, I think he, I think he probably's got. I think he has got it to get more. Um, I think probably more so than say. Um, Juan Martín del Potro that people thought was going to be a dark horse and turned out to be a bit of a disappointment although obviously he's now sort of you know going off to have some more wrist treatment so you know there is a there is a reason for that um, but I mean del Potro is a perfect case in point you know he pulled off a surprise win and then never really um, followed it up whereas I think Stan's got that belief and that um, and that drive and if he do, if his hip and his you know, and he doesn't sort of cramp up and get injured you know, he could well. I I wouldn't. I would actually put money on him for the U.S. Open. Yeah. So we're thinking. I wouldn't, we're thinking, I wouldn't say grass. Or, we're oh, thinking okay. hardcore. We're thinking hardcore mainly. Hardcore mainly, but I'd be interested to see how he does at Roland Garros actually, because he's not a bad clay court player. And of course, the thing you have to take into account at the moment with with so many good players out there is the draw. I mean, we saw we saw this year Nadal, Federer, Murray, Songa all in the same half of the draw. It's in the same quarter of the draw, some of it. Warwinka's now up to th- third in the world. 
Andy's down to sixth. Federer's down to eighth. These draws are going to keep getting tougher and tougher. You've still got you've still got Nadal one. You've still got Djokovic number two. They're not going to meet in any semis for quite a long time. No. However, these draws for for Andy or Federer, they're going to be tough. They're going to to get to win realistically one of the big ones. You're talking about them beating the likes of uh, the likes probably having to beat three any three of Del Potro. Burdich, Songa, Warinka, Nadal, Djokovic. And that's tough. But isn't that how it should be, though? I mean, really, you know, if I, if I look at how we covered the Australian Open, the first week was just a flurry of previews and stuff. And then the second week was the real sort of meat, of meat of the sandwich, really. So, I mean, it's as it should be. But, yeah, I think... I think it can only be good for the game because I think you're then going to end up with more... You're not going to have the stranglehold at the top. Um, you know, so, somebody had written for, written for us. You know, is it um, you know is it time that we sort of look at the big four and shuffle them around? I mean, you know, with Stan as the Swiss number one, you know, is this is this going to be his launching launching pad for something bigger and better? Well, it's it's his to lose, isn't it? It's his to go mm. on to. Um, you mentioned that Andy earlier when he was two in two years. He's come back now. He got to the quarterfinals, which was impressive on his first Grand Slam back. However, he had a fairly easy route there and didn't put up a great showing against Roger Federer, who then went on himself to lose fairly easy to Rafa Nadal. Mm. Where, where's Andy at the moment in the in the current standings and his fitness? I think, I think going going. I, was, I really feared for him going into the Australian Open to be honest, because he'd only played like five matches, two of which were a proper tournament, the rest were exhibitions. Um, and for him to have got it to the quarterfinals, I actually think was a pretty damn good effort. Um, I didn't expect him to to get into the second week, to be honest. So um, I thought that was that was a great effort. Um, I am worried about Davis Cup and how the switch from hard court to clay is going to affect him. Um, and I think it will be interesting to see how that affects him going into um, the U.S. swing the early part of the US swing. So I'll be more interested in seeing how he plays going into Indian yeah. Wells and Miami, to be honest. I mean, of course, if we look last year when he won Wimbledon, that came off the back of missing mm. a large portion of the clay court season. He didn't He didn't From play Rome, Roland. I think it was. He, yeah. He, yeah, he, retired he didn't Rome, play he Roland Garros. No. Um, and that actually ended up being fairly good for his summer. Yeah. Um, although he ended up having to have surgery anyway. I mean, the thing we can be sure of now, he's got the motivation, he's got the team behind him, he can get healthy again. Um, you make him sound like the bionic man. We can rebuild him. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we, you mentioned the Davis Cup there. Before we go on, I've got, I've got a quick quiz for you, and I'm hiding the answers now, um, so this isn't a fix. Um, <laughs> I hate quizzes. So, so Stan Roenka yeah. just, just won a Grand Slam. When was the last time, before Stan Roenka, that, that, no, that won outside of Rafa... Djokovic, Murray, Federer won a Grand Slam. I'll give you a clue. We've spoken about him already. This one's easy. Delpo. It gets harder. Delpo, when? 2009. Oh, very good. US Open 2009. Okay, <laughs> it gets worse. Oh, no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It gets, it gets worse. It gets worse. Okay, so that's, that's one. If you, until now, that's one in 2009. Before that, when was the last winner? This isn't just a temporary monopoly by these guys. Before... Del Potro, the last non-Rafa, Andy, Roger, Djokovic winner. Oof, good Lord. I have no idea. Give you a clue, the Moody Russian. 
moody Russian. Safin. Marat Safin. You can't call that perfection moody. Eight years ago. Oh, well, we're going to stay away from your, um, <laughs> from your, from your fantasies. Marat Safin in 2005. And then the final one. The There's one, another one. The last one, one before, them, before him. Before, they, before this complete domination from these four players The only one I can over. think of is Hewitt. Nope. I think, I think you referred to him earlier when you said someone whose name you couldn't pronounce. Oh, Sergei Bruguera. No, Gaston Gaudio, the French Open in 2004. Um, and if you're, if, you're, if you're a hen maniac like me, you'll remember that's the French Open where Tim Henman got to the French Open semi-final and had the chance to make the final and lost to Guillermo Correa, who then fell apart against the, uh, the famous Gaston Gaudio, who pushed on to achieve nothing else in his career. Um, but that's, that's, that just goes to show how, how dominant those four players have been yeah. for the last eight years. Um, sorry, nine years. So, um, well done, Stan. Um, and let's hope he wins a couple more. Mm. Two years' time, who's won more Grand Slams, Stan Wawrinka or Andy Murray? Andy Murray, without a shadow of a doubt. You heard it here. That is, that is confidence. <laughs> that is confidence. But the first test for Andy is in San Diego mm. this coming weekend. That didn't sound like a confidence sound was. No. No, I, I don't know. I'm in two minds about, about this. So, well, let, let's, only book- let's start at the beginning. We, on the last podcast, we spoke about this. And, and USA at home, they had the choice of court. They're going to choose big servers. The natural choice is a hard court. And what do they go and do? They choose the stuff that they make ashtrays out of. Clay. Now, now why have they chosen clay? Because they think that we can't play on clay. And are they right? Um, maybe a little bit? Maybe a little bit, but we won on clay in Croatia. That was against Croatia, though. Yeah, but Dodig's no, Dodig's no thing to be sniffed at. I mean, that was a, that was a pretty pretty good like final match. So. Or did we make him look good because we were on clay? No, he's, 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 I think he's, you know, well, he's now been sort of knocked back into his hat by Chilich coming back. But, you know, he's, he's not a bad player by any stretch. I mean, OK, Borna Correa probably... Looked, I mean, you know, I can remember that first match where it was like a 50 God knows what rally. And then after that, Murray was just like, you know what, kid, do you want to run? I'm going to make you right here. Doink, go run over there. Doink, go run over there. So, um, but no, I, I, Isner's not bad on clay, though. Well, they've chosen, so they've got, they, so the, Query's Ameri- gonna be interesting the American team, play. they've got the two huge servers, John Isner and Sam Query, ranked 13th in the world and 49th in the world, respectively. And they have the best doubles team in the world, possibly ever. The Bryan Brothers, number one. Um, and they're going to go up against the British team. Now, this is the other big news. So, so Andy Murray's playing and has pretty much said he'll play all three others. Um, Colin Fleming stays in there in the doubles. Um, they've kept, they brought Dom Inglot in as the, as the reserve for doubles, who he's currently the, the best British doubles player, highest-ranked British doubles player. But the singles is where it's a little controversial. They've kept... James Warden, who's a third-ranked Brit, but dropped Dan Evans, who won a singles match in Croatia, won a sing- was a hero against Russia and was a yeah. hero against Slovakia in 2012. Now, they've dropped him, the second-best, second-ranked British player, and brought in um, 19-year-old Kyle Edmund, the seventh-ranked British player. Um, explain a little bit why Leon Smith might have done that. What's the thinking behind that? Kyle has been doing a lot of his playing on clay and is actually quite a, a quite a good clay court player. He also is a very steady young man for for his age. Um, 
that's not to say that Dan Evans, Dan's actually really improved his attitude um, under Leon Smith's guidance and has, has really, really tried. But I think Dan suffered by, with some pretty um, mediocre sort of results at the beginning of the year and the end of the year. And I think um, was just dropped in favour of giving Kyle his chance. Now, realistically, do we think that Kyle's going to play like the main rubber? Or will, it be, will it be James Ward that plays? I don't know. Like you could probably see Kyle being tried out on the last rubber if it's not an, if it's not a critical one. Well, well, what would what would you do? Us put put yourself in the captain's position for a minute. Andy's going to play two rubbers. Um, he's probably going to play the doubles with with Colin Fleming. We'll come to him in a minute whether that's the right move. What would but, I do if I was but, doing? But do you, do you put Kyle Edmund in the first rubber and think well? You know, give him a chance and get him grounding because do you, you don't want to have to throw him in at the fifth rubber if it means something. No, because don't forget that the first the first two rubbers are always two versus one, so that's that's where you'd want to play him, where he's probably got a fighting chance. So if you're playing, you know, the one well, one that, that, one that's him versus John Isner. If you put him in the first one, has he got a fighting chance there realistically? Well, the thing is, he's so it, it's unpredictable. So like, if you look at it from the other side, John's got everything to lose because he's going to be expected to win. He won't have done... Well, I mean, they probably will have done some homework, but, you know, he won't have any idea about how, how Kyle is playing. He's he's young, he's fit, he's enthusiastic, he's got a great attitude, and he's been out training with Andy and, like, soaking up that kind of atmosphere. Um, and he's, he's already won an American Clay Futures yeah. this year. Exactly. So, you know, I think... Whereas Ward hasn't won a, hasn't won a match, an ATP match on Clay. Yeah. I mean, that says it, that says it all, really. I think... Um, I, mean, I think the pressure will be on Isner in that in that first in those first ties to to win, and without that pressure on him, you know Kyle will probably swing freely. I'm thinking I'm thinking a couple of years ago when the Americans did the same thing against the Swiss and managed to beat Roger Federer on clay. I think with these t- same two players or similar. Um, I mean, it was a shock then. It's not going to be such a shock if they dispatch Kyle Edmund or or James Ward in such a way. No, no. And I think that they're, they're expecting to. But, I mean, John... I mean, it's interesting, actually, because if you do play him against John, John's been injured. He's struggled with injuries since the Hotman Cup. Um, so he's not he's not on top form. Query... You can never really tell where Query's head is half the time. Well, this is the thing. James Ward has a winning record against Sam Query. Um, it's... <laughs> it's 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 played one. Sorry, I'm being serious. It's no, played it's really one, good. one, one for James Ward. It was at Queens. It was in front on grass in front of the home crowd. And the year that that James Ward um, in 2011 got to the uh, Queens semi, I think. Um, does that mean anything? No, not on grass versus oh. clay. Okay, so come what, along now, Philip. So what about the other record? So Andy, so Andy Murray has a two and zero record against Isner and a five and one record against Query. None of them on clay. Yeah, but I'd, I'd pick Andy over either of those two any day of the week and twice on a Sunday. So, yeah. Okay. I just, I just think he's got more game than, than they've got, more options than they've got. So in that case then, that all of that said, we're looking at the doubles rubber being Pivotal, huge here. Yeah. As, as, as is often the case, to be fair. Um, now, just to bore you with even more stats, some worrying stats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The um the record the record of the Brits against the Bryan brothers is not great. Um, in doubles, Andy Murray has played them four times and lost four times. But who's he played with though? A mixture of people. Okay. Um, Jamie and Ross mainly, I think. Colin Fleming has played them eight times and won once. Again, with a mixture of people, a mixture of um, Ross and Ken Skupski. 
and Dom Inglot has played them twice and lost both. So really, you just want to send Colin Fleming in on his own <laughs> and then well, have everybody super subbing. Well, this is the thing. I mean, but that is obviously, there were not, in none of those matches did Andy Murray and Colin Fleming play together. And as, as was reported a lot at the time, they hadn't played together since they were kids, basically, until they played in Montreal um, last year in August and got to the final, um, only losing to Suarez and Paya. And then the only other time they're playing together was on clay at, in Croatia against a really good doubles pairing of Dodig and Peve and, and one in four sets. So can the two of them together, can they, can they beat the Bryan brothers? They can, but it's, it's always a bit of a lottery. I mean, um, if I remember rightly at Croatia, you know, Colin sort of went off the boil a little bit. And, you know, and I think the pressure of the whole thing, because we, we really had to win that to, um, to just seal the whole deal. Um, I think they can do it because again, there's an element of surprise because yeah, everybody expects the Bryan brothers to win, and you know, and Andy's what quite kind unpredictable. Of surprise? Uh, well, because, uh, because Andy and Colin going to come out wearing clown suits yeah, or yeah, dressed that, as transvestites, that. or I'd, I'd be <laughs> that would be interesting in San Diego. Um, I actually probably wouldn't be that. What, what are the San Diego all, laws on that kind of thing? <laughs> probably wouldn't be that interesting in San Diego at all, really. I mean, I wouldn't do it in Texas, but San Diego no, maybe they no. could get away with it. But I, I don't know. I think there's you know because because. And he's quite unpredictable when it comes to doubles. He can, you know, he tends to go for everything um, and can be at times a little over-exuberant. Whereas I think the Bryan brothers aren't, aren't going to be, they're going to be used to much more of a doubles format. Whereas a doubles, a double player and a single player, can, it's an interesting mix. Um, but I think, you know, I think Murray is going to be up for it. And the, the only thing that gives me confidence about all of this is like um, all the way through the Australian Open, when people were asking about Andy's back because he looked troubled at times and he looked a bit laboured in some of his early matches, um, was, you know, it's taking me less to rehab after each match than it used to before. And I think people forget that, you know, it wasn't like he played Croatia and thought, oh, my back hurts, I'm going to have an operation. I mean, this has been going on for quite some time. Yeah. And, that you know, you know, every element of his movement has improved since then. It's just match fitness that he's lacking. Um, so on, on, in that respect, should he be playing the doubles? When you've got Dom Inglot, who, who is the best-ranked British doubles player, but then him and Fleming have never played together. Yeah, and also, and also Dom, Dom's good for very, very quick points. But He's a big serve, isn't he? Yeah, but that's, that's it. Well, then, it okay, bit, but can... in that case, you know who has beaten the Bryan brothers in the last year? Jamie Murray. Yeah. He beat, you know, he's beaten them in, in ATP finals matches. Why isn't he? Yeah, is it you know? Is it the chemistry that Andy and Colin have, or because there's no there's no team here? There's no you've not picked a team that plays regularly on tour. Whoever they pair up here, because you've got Dom plays with Trick Huey Filipino, you've got Andy uh, Jamie plays with an Aussie, you've got Colin and Colin played with Johnny Murray last year, but they've now broken up for Colin to reunite with Ross. But Ross is still on his way back from fighting cancer. It's amazing to see him back on tour, by the way, but. There's no team here, no. and we're going to have the best doubles team and the best two doubles players against two other. And we all know that Andy, if he wanted to play doubles, would be one of the best doubles players on the, yeah. on the circuit, if if not the best. But he's coming back from injury, and well, I think that's why they drafted. I mean, when it was Dom a, a late draft in. I think it was the same as Johnny Murray was in Croatia. It was you, you, you have him as a reserve. Yeah. Um, I think they can. I think when if if Leon makes a decision early enough that he's going to play James or Kyle in both rubbers, they'll they'll bring Dom into the team if he decides he wants to keep the singles options open. Mm. 
I, I honestly don't know. I mean, on paper, you know, they, they could do it, but they're going to have to play the most cohesive, best doubles of their life to do it. So what we're really saying is we've got no idea who's going to win this, um, but it should be an no. amazing watch. Yeah, it should be, actually. I mean, Dave, Davis Cup, there's some very tasty Davis Cup ties, actually, this weekend. That's just one of them. And I also think France and Australia will be worth a good watch. Okay. As well. And the mighty Kazakhstan. Who have been against Belgium. I feel I feel centre. very guilty because I've actually pretty much highlighted that like one one of the guys that that that, that writes for where I write in my day job um, is going to be covering Kazakhstan and Belgium while the rest of us write um, previews for everybody else because I just don't even want to think about writing those kind of previews. But um, but yeah, you know, fair play to Kazakhstan. I mean, didn't they beat? Who did they beat once? Switzerland? They've beaten some really good teams over the last couple they, of years. They pulled I mean, off they, a real surprise. They've in the world like... group. So um, they're in the world group. Um, but just to remind you, so the BBC, kudos to them. BBC have got the Davis Cup back on Terrestrial TV um, on BBC Two and BBC Three this weekend. And the first tie starts at 11 o'clock, 11.05 this Friday on BBC Two. Um, I'm going to be right. watching until I fall asleep. 11, oh, 11 o'clock at night? Yep. It's oh. in San Diego. This is true. That's about eight hours behind. Oh, I'm not doing any more of this time. <laughs> time zone um, malarkey. But from the men's team game to the women's team game, um, and Laura Robson is, mm. is, can't play in the next round of the Fed Cup. No. Um, how much chance does that give the girls? Um, Judy Murray's drafted in a, a, a girl whose name I've got. I've never even heard before. Is that Tara? Is she drafted in Tara Moore? Is she already in on the side? She was already in. Um, Joe Conter's there, um, obviously Heather. Heather, but there's no Anki Offathong's retired now, Elena Bartasha's retired now, um, Laura Robson, Laura Robson's struggling a bit, Heather's struggling a bit. Well, actually, I think I, I think this is Heather's chance to shine. I mean, she's been desperate to sort of try and get uh, a lot more matches in. She's wanted to try and bring some more aggression into her game and sort of working hard to 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 get herself back up there. So. I think it's I think it's her chance to shine and lead. And Joe Conter's a very useful player to have in there. You know, she's been doing she's been doing pretty well quietly behind the scenes. Yeah, sadly she missed out in the qualifiers for Paris this mm. week. Um, but she's not doing doing badly. And no. Heather, and I mean, she had a really good end of last year, Joe Conter. Yeah. Um, and Heather qualified for for the U.S. Open and got sorry the Aussie well, Open and got a really tough draw. Yeah. And put up a good fight. Yeah, I mean, and that's it. She's a, she's a really good scrapper. She just needs to have that um, fitness, you know, and because you know, glandular fever knocks the hell out of you. And don't forget that it was only the tail end of of it. So she'd got she'd suffered some really tough losses and was wondering what on earth is going wrong. And it's only when when she had some tests done, just by the by, that somebody talks about the way you know it's it's the it's the tail end of glandular fever. So yeah. she'd been battling away with it for quite some time. So it's it's going to knock her for six. But I think it's a it's her chance to shine. But I think what's interesting is, you know, if if I was Laura Robson now looking at Jeannie Bouchard making my you know, her first slam semi. Yeah, I mean those two are good friends and Laura Robson's as as pleased as she's got to be for her friend, uh, she's gotta be a little bit Well that's gotta be her spur now. A bit too. jealous and a bit why not me. Well, that, yeah, I mean they're, they're both under Nick Severiano, um, except he's travelling with Bouchard and um Laura Robson's travelling with his hitting, hitting partner. So, you know, they've got the same sort of coaching setup, but obviously the focus is going on Bouchard now. But she, you know, yeah, she's got she's got to look at that now and just be like, well, I want a piece of that. And there's, there's no reason why she can't have it, you know. Um, and I think the big thing for Laura now is she's no longer our plucky British team anymore. 
She's turned 20, and now, yeah. now you know, I think I think there was a lot of leeway given to Laura because she was still a teenager and still growing into the sport. And, it's, and it is a huge jump from the juniors to the seniors. Um, but we've seen what she can do. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's absolutely. given everyone expectations. And the women's game is so fluid and unpredictable. Yeah. You know, everyone can beat her. I mean, come full circle, there was talk at the beginning of this year... Can anyone stop Serena Williams winning all four Grand Slams? <laughs> the answer and, is yes. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she fell at the first hurdle. Um, that may be a little bit of an injury again, but I mean, she lost to Anna Ivanovic. Anna Ivanovic, who was who was a joke of the women's tour for for a little while, um, mm. under underachiever, and you know she's back up there. Eugenie Bouchard, um, Sibulkova, who's suddenly reached a Grand Slam. I mean, well, I mean. She- it wasn't probably as much of a shock for Sibylkova to get there because she'd, she'd reached the uh, semis of Roland Garros, I think. So she's 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 gone that far but never gone that further. And because she because she's such a tiny little pocket rocket, I think quite often she does end up getting blown off the court. But I think what she's done is she's worked very hard in the off-season and has now um, realised that she can utilise her lack of height. I mean, it never stopped anybody like her. You know, never stopped Tenen from... from well, winning. she didn't. She didn't look tiny against Lena, particularly, who's well, uh, even yeah, smaller. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, that, that, that was probably a good matchup of size. But I mean, what impressed me from uh, about Domi in that final was even though it was a bit of a trancing in the second set, score wise, she never gave up. She never dropped her head. And compare. I mean, as much as I love Sabine Lazicki, compare and contrast oh. um, that final where Marion. To be fair to Marion, was seeing the. The, the ball like the size of a football that she could she could do no wrong but she'd also been in a final before now Sybil Cobra fought for every damn ball that she could and and re- even though it was a six love in the in the second set never dropped her head no tears until the end no there was no sign of giving up at all whereas you had to fear for the Zicky so that I think that's what really made me sort of think yeah you know now now your time has come and as for Ivanovic, yeah, you know, since since she um, since she had a shake up of her coaching, you know, towards the back end of the year, she suddenly started picking up her game and really, I think maybe unencumbered, started playing a lot freer, and it really showed. Yeah, it, you know, it's a shame that she she's now carrying an injury and hasn't gone on to sort of try herself out at the next premier event because she really needs to be challenging. Yeah, at those at those events. But the key being, it's the top of the women's game is very very competitive. There's lots of very good women up there, but there's no, there's no one. You know, Serena Williams yeah. is beatable, and there's no one else that's there's no one else that's unbeatable. There's so many of the powerhouses in the last few years have retired. Mm. Um, you know, the, the the way is open if if Laura Robson, Heather Watts, and really really want to make a push. Oh, oh, definitely. I think um, you know, I, as I said, I think this Fed Fed Cup next week is is going to be Heather's chance to shine because she will be the player with the most experience. She will be the player with the experience of being high up in the rankings. She'll be, you know, she's the player that's actually won a title for the first time in in a long long time. You know, she's got all that behind her. You know, it's just whether she's still got that that fight because I know that towards the end of the year she felt a little bit kind of um you know, I think it knocked the stuffing out of her. And, you know, does she really want to get up and do all this again? You know, and I think I think she's got a fire back. I mean, the fact that she played the way through qualifying and got a crappy draw, but, you know, what can you what can you do? But, you know, yeah, like you say, she gave it a, she gave it a really good go. In fact, she I, I would actually argue that she had a better first round than Laura by a by, you know, by mm. country mile. Definitely. Because it could have it could have gone her way. Whereas Laura was hit off the court by Flipkins, I think it was, um, and was was you know was literally. But then that wrist injury 
didn't didn't help. So yeah, you know it's 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 tough. It'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to see how that how they go. But yeah, it's going to be a while I think before the British women actually sort of gain the same kind of foothold as the men. They need to build that team up. You don't see either of them winning Wimbledon this year, then. Actually, <laughs> I don't see them winning Wimbledon, but you know there is no good reason why Laura Robson can't get into the second week and go deep. Absolutely no reason because she's got the power off both wings. She still has that fearless hitting. Um, she has been working on her serve. You know, it's just it's just these niggling injuries now that are, are getting in the way. There's no good reason why she can't go deep. It's just, it's just such a shame that she picked up that injury in that first week. I was really looking forward to watching her. Um, and it was just like, well, okay. Right, it's five months away and you've already had Roz's uh, Wimbledon prediction. So feel free to go and... Uh, <laughs> go, yeah, have a the, little flutter. The odds are going to be even better than uh, than, than 65 to 1 for Stan Owinka that a uh, friend, <laughs> friend of the podcast, Mark Worley, missed out on. For shame, Mark, for shame. Right. <laughs> I think that's all from us, isn't it, Was I think it pretty much is, yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of it, only having, like, one big tournament. Cool. Right, have a good weekend, everyone. Enjoy a lot of sport. Um, go Seahawks, go Broncos. Oh, please. <laughs>